I'd like to pray with you for a moment before we look into God's word. Let's pray. As we've just been singing about, Lord, your creation talks about this in Psalm 19, tells us so much about you. But also we see your work in the life of all the souls that you've created that are here on earth now. And we thank you so much for the offer of grace, the offer of love that you want to give to whoever would receive it. And so, Father, thank you for each of us here that know you in that way. We say thank you. For those that are on the journey, we know that you just welcome them on the journey. And we pray that we would be able to just come alongside them as they investigate who this Jesus is and what he might have for them. And so, Lord, as we consider your word now, we invite you to speak as only you can. And really that comes, at the heart of it, it comes with a willingness on our part for you uh, to just do what you would do in our life. And so I pray that we're willing and we offer ourselves to that end now in Jesus' precious name, amen. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. Or it's just possible you might know who you, what, what you're supposed to do. But if you're not living in it, you're not inclined to do it. Why would you? Know who you are. Everything in life flows from that. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? starting a series of messages this morning for the next number of weeks entitled, Know. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And what we're going to do is something we haven't done for a little while, but we're going to spend some time memorizing verses of Scripture together in the next number of weeks. Each week we've picked one or two verses that are key verses from the talk that we're going to invite you to memorize together. And so when we're leaving this morning... There'll be cards available with each verse on it so that you can take them home, put it on your fridge or put it on the dashboard somewhere or whatever, and you can take some time to memorize these key verses. But this morning, first of all, we're going to get the verse put up on the screen, and we're going to read it together. We'll read the, the reference first because it's always important to know where the reference is, and then let's read this together. Before we read it, let me just say to you that this is the theme verse for the whole series. So it all kinds of flows out of this in the next number of weeks. So let's read together beginning at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so as I said, we'll hand these cards out to you and I encourage you to take some time this week to memorize that verse and one other one I'm going to give you a little bit later in the service. When I put a series together, I sit down with Amethyst, who works in our office, and she's very creative. And I talk to her about what we're going to be talking about from God's Word. And then she decides a slide around that for the, for the series. And I wanted to reference the one that we're going to be using today. And we'll put that up on the screen if we could right now. It, it really speaks the message in the slide. And so when you see the word no, you see images of fingerprints in the word no. And that's done very purposely because each one of us are unique 
creation, created in the very image of God. And our identity, who we really are, like we think about when we think of fingerprints, is rooted in who we are in Christ, individually. Then behind that, in the background of the slide, you'll see a bunch of dots with lines all interconnecting from dot to dot. Because when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, we begin to connect the dots in life, creating new pathways in the brain. Because when you know who you are, you will know what to do. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. What does it mean to be in Christ? There's two areas when I come across believers, and these, these are things I've wrestled with myself. There's two areas that I find the biggest struggles for believers. One is to discover who they really are in Christ. I hear this all the time. And second is in the issue of forgiveness. Who am I in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it all begins with launching a relationship with him where I, I acknowledge the fact that every human being, including me, has done sinful things. The Bible is very clear about that. And that because of these choices I've made, these sinful choices, I have separated myself irreparably from a holy God. And that there's nothing I can do. It's absolutely hopeless. There's nothing I can do to remedy that. And this is at the heart of why Jesus came. And so he came so that he could deal with my sin issue, that I can't deal with myself. And so I, I admit this. I acknowledge these truths. It's very humbling, and it's hard for us as human beings to humble ourselves, to say, I have done sinful things. I've separated myself from holy God, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness and for complete cleansing based on what Jesus did for me on the cross. And so by doing that, I receive him as Savior. And equally important, and one never goes without the other, they always go hand in hand, is this surrender to him, where I say, I don't totally know what this means, but I'm going to surrender my life to you and ask you to be the Lord of my life, the leader, the, the master of my life. And this launches a lifelong, day-by-day relationship with him that also has eternity stamped on it and it's a relationship based with God every day but also for all eternity in heaven and as I said earlier I come across many people who have a relationship with God through Jesus but they struggle deeply in life because they waver on the implications of this and they're still trying to navigate life based on who they were prior to coming to Jesus and they don't dwell in the fact that they're now in Christ. So what does that mean? Let's talk for a couple of minutes about that theme verse from 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we just read a couple of moments ago that says that now that we are in Christ, we are a new creation. What does that mean? What does that mean? Another phrase in the verse is it says, the old has gone. And it's important to understand how that was written. It was written in what's called the aorist tense of the Greek. And the aorist tense in, in Koine Greek means decisive change. It means something has changed and does not end. And then as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, after he is writing in the aorist tense, something has changed now that you're in Christ, and it will not end 
Then he flips the tense in the next phrase to the, the, the perfect tense, which says, and he says, the new has come. The perfect tense means something is, it's abiding results. Something has come to stay. Something has come. The old is gone, and something has come to stay. And Paul is saying to the church in Corinth and to us as well, he's saying, listen, God's holy displeasure with you. Now, it's not my phrase. I borrowed that from someone. I can't remember their name. God's holy displeasure against sinful people has been appeased. Now, understand this. Literally mean, it literally means that it's not God looking at us and sort of just politely ignoring what we've done. It's not that at all. He never, ever says sin is okay. He never says no big deal. It's not a polite ignoring. It's not a, it's not a case of God saying, I'm just going to reduce hostilities between us a little bit. It's not that. When it's written in this tense of the verb, it means total objective removal. Total factual, these are not subjective at all, objective fact, total objective removal. God's holy displeasure with us when we are in Christ has been removed. Because when he looks at us, he doesn't look at what we've tried to do or not do. It, that never matters. His, it, 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 what does matter is he looks at us and he sees us in Christ. And this appeases his holy displeasure with us. And this idea of security is attacked. And this is why the verse begins, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, a brand new person. So here's what, it, what that doesn't mean. It does not mean that there's some superficial change. It does not mean that you're simply reformed. It does not mean that you've been somehow rehabilitated. It doesn't mean that you've been re-educated. What it means is that the Holy Spirit has given us new life. We have been recreated. Born again, it says in John chapter 3. Remember the teacher of the law goes to Jesus at night in John chapter 3. And, and Jesus says in verse 6, I think it is, you need to be born again. And this guy's going, well, how... How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? It's not a physical rebirth. It's, it's a spiritual rebirth. Recreated. And when we know who we are, we will know what to do. And we will begin to live differently. And we stop seeing ourselves based on the way we used to be, based on what we tried to do or not do or what others said about us, we begin to live based on who we are in Christ. So let me just, let me celebrate with you a few of the dozens and dozens of verses in Bible that talk to us about who we are in Jesus. So let me just paraphrase these verses. They're just coming right out of Scripture. When you are in Christ, the Bible says that you are a chosen child. It also will use the phrasing, an adopted child. When you are in Jesus... He has chosen you. When you are in Christ, it says, I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. When you are in Christ, the Bible says, I am a saint. I'm not just some, you know, some name in some dusty old book. Because of Christ, 
because God sees me in Christ, I am a saint. Because of Christ, I have direct access to God. Because of Christ, I am complete in Christ. Because of Christ, I am free from condemnation. Because of Christ, it says in the book of Ephesians, I am a citizen of heaven. Because of Christ, I can approach God with freedom and with confidence. Because of Christ, it says in Ephesians 2, I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And the picture is that we are in the throne room with God because of Christ. Because of Christ, it says in Philippians 2, I am confident, or maybe it's chapter 1 rather, um, I am confident that he who's begun a good work in me will complete it. Because of Christ, I am holy. God sees us as positionally holy. And he walks with us on the journey of holiness as well. It's paradox. When we are in Christ, we no longer see ourselves through our eyes. We no longer see ourselves through the guilt and the shame and the junk of the past. We no longer are called to see ourselves through the eyes of what others think about us or what they say about us. We are literally new creations in Christ, and we have access, as I said earlier in Ephesians 2, we have access to the very throne room of God. We have authority in the name of Jesus, whose name is above every name. And when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, then we will know what to do. We begin to see people all around us, those seven or eight billion people that the song just talked about, we begin to see people and we begin to see creation as God sees it rather than the way we used to see it. Oh, I can't trust them. Um, I'm going to use them to get what I want. We begin to see people differently. And we desperate, when we know who we are, we desperately want other people to know that relationship as well. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Let's continue reading in that theme verse and then down for a few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 through 21. For 2 Corinthians, which is past the book of Acts, as you're moving through the New Testament and Romans, and you're going to come to two letters that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. And Paul says this into the church and to us. He says, therefore, in other words, in light of the first four chapters that I've been talking to you about in this letter, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to us, let me say that again, who is he committed? He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
the righteousness of God. As ones who are in Christ, we are now Christ's ambassadors. And as such, he, as it said there in verse 18, he's committed to us the work of recon- the message of reconciliation in this. That word reconciliation, it, it means to be restored to the divine. It means to point people so that they might be made right with God. To take that which is broken and separated from holy God, that it might be made whole again and make be known right with God. This brings us to our second verse that we're going to ask you to work on and memorize this week. And this is verse 20. Um, and we're going to put that on the screen. And the key idea is that we are Christ's ambassadors. So let's read this together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In the New Testament, their understanding of ambassador was slightly different than the one we have today. In the New Testament, an ambassador meant to be, it meant to work, it meant to travel as an envoy. We, in our culture, an ambassador is a resident representative because of the nature of modern communications. Back then, they would do a lot more traveling back and forth to get the message from their leader. As Christ's ambassador, you were not elected to this position. People had no say in whether you would get this position. People have no say in whether that position would ever be removed from you. You are chosen and appointed by God. It's actually irrelevant what other people think when it comes to this. You are chosen and appointed by Almighty God to be his ambassador. Let me just read to you from the book of John, the fourth book in the New Testament, that just amplifies this idea a little bit. Jesus is speaking in chapter 15, and he says this in beginning in verse 16. Listen to what he says. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So he's given us this mission, but then he says, listen, understand something very clearly. If the world hates you, and I guarantee you, if you're, if you're sharing this message, if you're living as Christ's ambassador, there will be people that hate you. Absolute guarantee. Not because you're being a jerk, being obnoxious, nothing like that. If you're just trying to love people in Jesus' name and share the good news of Jesus with words and in the way you live, in a self-giving and self-sacrificing kind of way, you will be hated. Absolutely guaranteed. I know it makes no sense, but you will be. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, you would be, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But here's this idea again. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So someone says, but Scott, I feel so unworthy. And this is the area where people are confused about who they are in Christ. For the pre-Christian, for the person that has not bowed the knee to Jesus and given their life to him. This is understandable. 
because they're operating based on a whole set of, if I do this, hopefully life will work out, and if I don't do that, maybe it'll get a little better, and it's all dependent on them. And when that's the case, we disappoint ourselves, and other people disappoint us all the time, and we feel very unworthy. So that's understandable to think that way. But when we're in Christ, that's all gone. Let me share or just remind you of the story of Paul very briefly. Paul, whose name originally was Saul, it changed to Paul a little bit later. If you know anything about the life of Paul, there's 27 books in the New Testament. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul would be acknowledged by basically everyone as the architect of the New Testament church. God used him and he moved all around the areas of the Middle East and in Asia, that part of the world, of the then known world, and planted churches all over the place. And so he was used on an unprecedented level. But if you know a little bit more about Paul, you would know that he would be like the least likely among us to be called to that, to be called to be a man of God. Because earlier in his life, he was the number one persecutor of the church. He was that guy in verse 18 from John 15 that hated us, despised us. And he didn't just talk about it in coffee shops. He would go out and have, he had a lot of authority. He was among the most brilliant person in that society. Heading to become the high priest, which was the number one position in that, in that society. He hated people who knew, that Je knew Jesus as Savior and Lord. So he had them arrested, ripped out of their homes, taken out of their jobs, tortured. You won't recant. We're going to torture you. We're going to imprison you. And if you still won't recant, you're dead. We're going to kill you. And he was so you know, engaged in this that the people in Jerusalem, he's doing this to everybody that he can grab up. They're running for their lives. And so he's frustrated because he hasn't got enough people to put to the sword or, or to send to death. And so he takes his show on the road. He gets warrants from the chief magistrate, and he's heading down the road to Damascus to arrest more people. And on the way, in Acts chapter 9, he has a personal encounter with the risen Savior. And his life is completely changed. His sins are forgiven. His life is totally surrendered to God. And we can read in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, if you read his story, we're told, God says, you, Paul, will be my chosen instrument of God's, God's role to carry my name. You will be my ambassador to the Gentiles. The ironic thing is, is early, just before he met Christ, he would never talk to Gentiles. He saw Gentiles coming down the road. He hated them immediately and would cross to the other side of the road. Now that he's been completely changed by Jesus, he is going to be Christ's special envoy, his special ambassador to the Gentiles. And so here's the point. If it could happen to him, it can happen with us. For you, I don't know what that's going to mean. It might mean the people you work with, more than likely. It's more than likely going to mean your family. It could well mean the people that you're on that hockey team with or the people that you watch Monday night football with 
tomorrow night. The people you gather with in your small group. Or maybe, you, maybe you're just the kind of person that's really good at, at fixing cars and as you're driving down the road, you see that person that's car is broken down and they have no idea what to do. And because Jesus has changed you, you just stop and you just love them in Jesus' name and help fix their car. And when they talk to you about why in any of these settings, as we did on Friday night, Saturday morning, I think there was 250 students lined up here before 5 a.m., roughly 250 why would you do stuff like this? And over and over again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why would you practice outrageous giving like this? Because God sent Jesus who gave everything to me and changed me. And now that I'm in Christ, oh, how I wish that you could be in Christ too. Because as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, he's committed to us this message of reconciliation ambassadors appointed and chosen by God. Another important thing about an ambassador is they never represent themselves. We represent God. We are literally seen when we're Christ's ambassadors as representing him. And I got to just tell you, <laughs> that ought to give us pause. That's a bit of a scary thing. I am representing holy God. I am Christ's ambassador. I'm a representative of the government of the kingdom of God. Representing the king of kings and lord of lords. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate ambassador. He's speaking about himself in John chapter 6 and he says this, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And each one of us here that knows Jesus as Savior and Lord is called to represent Christ in everything we do. You know, sometimes people will say things to me like this, or they'll say it when I'm not around and I hear about it later or something like that. And they'll say, you know, as a pastor, as the reverend, as the caller, even though I don't wear one, um, you're called to a higher standard in how you speak and what you do and what you say and how you give and all of these things. You're called to a higher standard. And when people say like that, something like that to me, I'll say something like, absolutely true. I totally agree. I'm, in fact, not just a higher standard, but the highest standard. I completely agree with you. But then I just twist it at that crucial moment just a little bit. Oh, and by the way, you're called to the exact same standard as me. Christ's ambassadors are held to the highest standards. Each one of us as Christ's ambassadors represent him. So when we're in Christ, we're never, ever, ever expected to do this in our own strength. Try to do it in your own strength, you'll fail miserably. Just a heads up. No, no, it comes with me saying, I would invite you every day to say, Lord, I, can't, I don't have what it takes today to be your ambassador. So I'm just offering my life today. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you empower me to live for Christ, to live the life of an ambassador? And it will change how you do life. So the pastor uh, was in this venue 
And uh, this younger man, probably late 20s, early 30s, comes walking in. He had never met. Uh, but it was just by the demeanor of this younger man, you could just tell he, there was something really wrong. Something was heavy, his shoulders were slumped, face downcast, all of this stuff. So the pastor says to him, um, you know, I know we don't know each other, but uh, I can just tell. I work with people a bit, and I can just tell something's really bothering you. Would you like to talk about it? Little reticent at first, but after about a minute, started to open up. And no details, but the guy had done something. He didn't offer details, but he had done something to betray his wife. And when she found out about it, they had like a nuclear fight, screaming at the top of their lungs at each other. Long story short, he decides his marriage is over and shares with the pastor, I left the day before, got in my car and left. And then he said, and I'll never forget as I was backing out of the driveway, my three-year-old daughter ran across the lawn, <clears throat> begging me not to leave, saying, Daddy, please don't leave us. So the temptation is very strong at that point to say, well, yeah, I hope it all works out for you, something like that. But at the moment, that moment, the pastor said, I don't know where you stand with God, but I happen to believe that we didn't meet by accident today. I happen to believe that God actually sent me here to be with you. And I believe God would have me say this to you. Go home, get down on your knees, apologize to your wife, beg her forgiveness, and be a husband to your wife and a daddy to your little girl. See, this is what an ambassador does. Because you're not, it's not your message, it's the message of Jesus. It's the message that always will line up with the word of God. We'll never be in conflict with the word of God. The spirit will prompt us. And so there's this beautiful balance of the word of God and the spirit. And they never, they won't, if they contradict each other, it's not from God. And we speak only with the authority that has been given us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, just five chapters after our text. He said, so, for even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord has given us for building you up rather than for pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of, you, of it. As an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you have authority. He's given us his word. He fills us with his spirit. He's given us spiritual gifts. You heard Jesse Shea read Romans chapter 12, verses 2 to 10 which contains, I believe it is, nine of the spiritual gifts. Not all the spiritual gifts, but nine of them. The expectation wherever you see the spiritual gifts listed in Scripture is he doesn't just give these things out for something to do. He expects us to use them. Knowing that it's his power and not ours. And so someone says, well, Scott, um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. 
And I say, no, you're not. You're actually Jesus' ambassador raising next generation world changers. A very different way to see life. Because remember, the old is gone and the new has come. And so it changes the way I see people and I see the creation when I'm in Christ. Someone says, oh, I'm a student. And I say, you're absolutely not. You are an ambassador in your chemistry class. You are an ambassador to your professor in your kinesiology class. Someone else says, I'm a bank teller. And I say, absolutely not. You are Jesus' ambassador, strategically placed behind that counter to show the love of Christ to hurting people that come in, that want someone to care about them, not just their money. And wherever we are, we are never representing ourselves. If we are a biblical believer, if we're a follower of Jesus, if we are a Christian, we are an ambassador of the living Christ, elected, chosen, appointed by God to represent him. The highest calling in the world. And we never represent ourselves, we always represent him. We recognize this is not our home. (laughs) We're just visiting. I I had an album when I was a kid, and the the phrasing of some of the words was, we're visiting from another planet. I'm just a visitor from another planet. Citizens of heaven. Because when you know who you are, you will know what to do. If you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. You might have a sense of what you're supposed to do, but if you're not living in who you really are, you will feel no obligation to live that way. Why would you? When you know who you are, you will know what to do. The implication is it's very important that you know who you are. 